The scripture this morning is James chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever, therefore, wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously, but he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Amen. I just wanted to share with you that uh, if you look at the new edition of the Southern Spirit, right here in the, uh, the section here, it says uh, there's a word search of North and South Division uh, North and South Carolina core. So every core is listed, including ours. I only ask you don't do this during the sermon, okay? Because that would not be nice. Okay, so we're going to talk about friendship and how uh, we create and develop our friendship with, with the Lord. Uh, again, the word friend may not be something that comes to mind when we think of God, uh, we may think of Lord, as, and that's good. There are many words that we can think of, but hopefully you can think of the word friend when you think of God. Jesus told his disciples that he would at some point call them friend because they would get an inside uh, idea or, or inside information. Uh, you, you know that you, would, uh, you, you share secrets with your friends, right? And I love the uh, Benjamin Franklin quote, three can keep a secret if two are dead. Uh, so when you think of, of uh, friendship, now I will say that um, the word friend now, due to just the way we live our lives, has become such a diluted word. We don't really, the Bible really gives us a clear definition of what a friend is. And the definition, honestly, is someone that would die for you. So that probably, right then and there, your list just really got small, right? Uh, now, and we're talking about close friends. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God or draw close to God, and God will draw close to you or, or God will come near to you. What that saying is, and this is true of any friendship, it don't happen overnight. You have to spend time to get to know your friends. You also need to spend time with God so that you can actually call him friend. It takes desire. you got to want to, right? Then it takes time, and it takes energy. That is why, ultimately, all of us, when we, when we talk about close friends, we probably don't even use all the fingers on one hand. Because it would be really impossible. If you really think about how much time and energy it takes just in having a spouse or kids, then go outside of that, that takes more energy to have close, intimate friendships. 
So if you're looking for a deeper, intimate connection with God, you got to trust Him. And when I say trust Him, you gotta, I mean you got to trust Him with your feelings. Don't trust your feelings, but trust Him with your feelings. you got to trust Him when He asks you to do something or to obey. you got to learn to care about what He cares about. And desire his friendship more than anything. That's kind of where we start to get tripped up. So how can we really get close to God? Again, be honest with him. You can be honest with a close friend. A deeper friendship with God is complete honesty about what's going on. And, and, and you know, that doesn't mean that you have to sugarcoat everything with God. God can, can deal with your rawness. He can deal with your temper. He can deal with your sadness. In the Bible, the friends of God were honest about their feelings. They complained to God. They second-guessed God. They accused God. They argued with the Lord. God didn't, you know, he didn't send a lightning bolt to destroy them. He won't do that to you either. He was not bothered by their frankness. In fact, God encourages us to be real with him. Genesis 18, 23 and 33, God allowed Abraham to question and even challenge him over the destruction of Sodom. In the Psalms, the Psalms are really you know, the, mostly David, but also other writers, raw emotion. I love the Psalms. You can go from, Lord, you are good, to please destroy my enemies. And then again, God, thank you for your goodness. What was David doing? He was getting his feelings out on page. Has anyone ever said to you, the best thing you can do is just write out how you feel? And then... You know, maybe destroy the paper. Don't send it to the person. Um, I've always been told that if I had a disagreement with my uh, leadership, is to write it out and then throw it away. Because you're getting it out. Okay? And you're keeping your job. Okay? So, in the Psalms, Dave, God listens to David's many accusations of, of unfairness. Has anybody been unfair to you? Betrayal, he felt abandoned. In Jeremiah 20, verse 7, God didn't kill Jeremiah when he claimed that God had tricked him. God allowed Job to vent his bitterness during his horrible situation. And in the end, God actually defends Job for being honest and rebukes Job's friends for being fake. You can be real. With God, you can be real with your friends, right? Let's 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 not act like this is not true. All of us, when we walk into this room, we may not be exactly who we are, and that's okay. Most of us in public are a little different than who we are in private. That you kind of should be, okay? All right. So, in a way, what we're saying is, God with God, you can just peel all the layers off. You can take off the makeup. You can take off the wig or whatever you got on. And you can say, Lord, this is who I am. And the Lord will say, 
I know. The Lord speaking to one of Job's friends actually says, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken to me what is right as my servant Job has. So genuine friendship is, is built on disclosure. What you may think of as audacity, God says, no, that's authenticity. God can handle your passionate words. God is actually bored with pious cliches. To be God's friend, you've got to be honest, be raw, share your true feelings, not what you think someone, not what you think you ought to say or what someone has actually told you, well, you know, you should never question God. I think all of us have probably heard that before. And yet Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Until we mature enough to understand that God uses everything in our lives for our good, we will harbor resentment toward him. We, have, we will question, if we're not careful, if we don't realize that God has done everything, even the way we look for good in our lives, we will question God over our appearance, unanswered prayers, hurts, or any million other things we could think of to change if we were God. People often blame God for hurts that other people caused. This creates what has been called your hidden rift with God. And I think if we, if, if, if we all had the time, there's probably at least one thing that we would say, me and God don't agree about something. And, but the question is, have you expressed it to him? One of the great barriers to friendship with God, or really friendship with anyone, is bitterness. And that's probably something all of us struggle with, because it's a human reaction. Bitterness, though, can actually destroy your soul. Now, I'm not saying you're going to go to hell if you're bitter. You just may be in heaven and never smile. But you'll be in heaven, but everybody will know, you know, He's, he's mean. Why would I want to be God's friend if he allowed this, is what we would say. The remedy, though, is to realize, as, and this happens as we mature, this is not a you wake up one morning and think this way. We have to trust, and this is where trust comes in, that God is always acting in our best interest. Now, let me, I could stop there and say, do you really believe that? Do you really believe when you have health crisis or financial crisis or anything that goes on, that he's really using this to help me. Even when it's painful, even when we don't understand, we love to quote, excuse me, we love to quote Romans 8.28 to other people. And we know in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And that is true. That is God's word. But many times, and we know this even in our own lives, even as we deal with people and our children, and grand, sometimes we have to allow them to fall. If your child never fell, you always held them before they fell, how would they know how to get up? They would just look at you and say, what, what, what do I do next? So God sometimes allows failure to help us. 
He allows sickness. He allows all the different things in life so that we can become closer to him. You know, in fact, the New Testament says that really, if you're going to be close to Christ, you get close to him through suffering. So when we release our resentment, when we reveal our feelings, we are healing ourselves. Tell, it, tell God exactly how you feel. Here's a few people in the Bible that did, if you don't believe me. Job, Asaph, Jeremiah, Naomi. You know, Naomi just kind of said, I just wish I was dead. I mean, everybody else around me has died. To instruct us in honesty, God gave us, right there in the middle of your Bible, the Psalms. And again, you can go from ranting, raving, fear, uh, thanksgiving, praise, statements of faith. Every possible emotion that you could write down is in the Psalms. You can pray like David. He said in Psalm 142, I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. Do you, do you and I do that? Or do we harbor them in our heart to where the seeds of bitterness begin to, to sprout up? And this is not all he says in that verse, uh, 2 and 3. Psalm 142, 2 and 3, he says, For I am overwhelmed. Do you ever feel overwhelmed? And you alone know the way I should turn. In other words, God, I can, I can say all this to you because you know what needs to happen. This should be encouraging to us. To know that God's closest friends, Moses, David, Abraham, Job, all these people that we think, man, when we get to heaven, won't it be something to see these people? And yet they would say, man, there were times where I just told God, you know, this sucks. And you say that too. Maybe you don't use that word like I do. Uh, but you say it in your own way. This isn't fair. Why me? See, when they had doubts, they, they voiced them openly. Sometimes expressing doubt is sometimes the first step towards the next level of intimacy with God. Because you're saying, Lord, I don't understand. Help me to understand. Remember, doubt should drive us to faith, not away. Because doubt creates questions. And when we question, we're actually questioning. If, if you didn't believe in God, why would you question him? You wouldn't question someone that doesn't exist. So developing your friendship with God, uh, it means that we can trust him to be open. We can be open with him. We can tell him exactly how I feel. But we also must choose to obey God. Every time we trust God's wisdom to do what he says, even when you don't understand it, you're, you're deepening your intimacy with him. He's taking you to another level. God says that when you don't understand, but you still do what I say, that shows that you love me. We don't usually think of obedience as a characteristic of friendship. We don't say to our friend, um, you, you need to do this. Why? Because you must obey me. You, you won't have many friends. But this is where the relationship with God is, is different than our relationship with our friends on earth. We think of obedience as reserved for relationships with a parent or a boss or some superior leader, not a friend. But Jesus makes it clear in, in our relationship with him that obedience is a condition of intimacy with God. Jesus said in John 15, verse 14, You are my friends if, 
you do what I command. You know, that, that really kind of makes me, just as a human, just as, just as a person, really kind of go, okay, am I friends with God? Am I obeying what he's telling me to do? See, the word friends in this verse, and we, it's hard for us to see this because we don't have kings and queens, but it's saying you are a friend of the king. So in a royal court, if the king had his friends around him, they would never question what he asked them to do. They would obey. These companions would have special privileges, right? Because they're the king's friends. But they, would, they were also still subject to the king and still had to obey. Now see, that makes a lot better sense, doesn't it? We are friends of God. We're not as equal. Okay? He, he still tells us what to do. And, now my wife told me I had to do this. She said, you know, Valentine's Day is coming. you got to talk about love. I was like, okay, whatever. But if we love him, you know what he said? If you love me, you'll obey me. And here he's saying, if you're my true friend, you will do what I command. You know, when we think of, uh, and Paul, Paul makes it perfectly clear when he writes his letters, and he would say, Paul, a servant of Jesus. Okay, what we lose in that, because we don't live under uh, kings and all of that right now, but uh, what we lose in that is what Paul is saying, there is no better thing to me than to serve my king. What Jesus is saying is, I am still your king, and so you are now my close companions, but my close companions will still obey what I say. We're not his equals, but we can be his friends. We obey God because we love him. We trust that he knows what's best for us. And I'm going to tell you, the longer I live, the more I realize trust is just scary. But what God is trying to say to each one of us is, as we live our lives, it's so easy to forget the times we have trusted him. The life of Abraham is a great example. You know, God didn't just call Abraham to immediately sacrifice his son. If you look at the life of Abraham, every little test that he obeyed, the other one was a little more difficult. But it also brought about more blessing in his life, spiritual blessing. You see, we, we want to follow Christ not because we're scared of him. We need to follow Christ because... We love him. And the closer we follow him, the deeper our friendship becomes. Because why? He gives us more of himself. You see, unbelievers think Christians obey God because they don't want to go to hell. That's it. Why did you be, become saved? Because I don't want to go to hell. Well, if that's the case, then why are you here? You're already saved. Why am I standing here? It's not just about I don't want to go somewhere as, as much as it needs to be because I want a relationship with this person who, by the way, will, I will be with for eternity. Look around. You're going to be with me forever. And you're going to be with all these people forever. Right? I know that makes you happy. 
But what we don't realize, though, is that we love God, or I'm sorry, we obey God because we've been forgiven. We've been set free from the bondage of hell and sin and, and all of that. And so really, we're serving God uh, because it's an obligation of love, not because I have to. That's why God uses the marriage illustration in the Bible to say, really, this is how your relationship with me should be. You know, um, it's, it's not about, hey, I mean, think about if, you, if you've been married to someone, someone comes up to you and says, uh, so how many times a week do you think about divorce? Well, that's like saying, how many times a week do you think of leaving the Lord? I don't. Jesus said, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey me, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father and remain in his love. I have told you this so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. John 15, 9 through 11. So there it is again. Obedience and love is tied together. Jesus expects us to do only what he did with the Father. Isn't that great? Really, Jesus is saying, I'm only going to ask you to do what I'm willing to do. His relationship to God, the Father, is the model for our friendship with him. Jesus did whatever the Father asked him to do, out of love. True friendship is never passive. It's an action. When Jesus asks us to love others or help the needy, share what we have when we can, keep our lives clean, love always motivates us to obey immediately. It's not fear. The Bible already tells us, Perfect what? Cast out fear. Perfect love. Not perfect obedience. None of us in here are perfect. Christian leaders and pastors, we love to say words like, do great things for God. The greatest thing you can do is obey Him. Because if you don't obey God, nothing else matters. Did you know that God is actually more pleased when you do small things for Him? Out of loving obedience. You know what the greatest thing I do for my wife? Make her a cup of coffee. Now that's love there. And I always make sure to put just enough half and half and only one pack of Splenda, not two, one. And I don't stir it a lot, just enough. That's love. You see, now you all know this to be true because when people do little things for you, it means that they are thinking of you. They care for you. Now, God doesn't tell us that we have to make coffee for each other, but I'm not saying you don't have to. God treasures simple acts of obedience more than prayer, more than praise, more than the offerings that you give. 1 Samuel 15, 22 People love to quote this, what pleases the Lord more? Burn offerings and sacrifices or obedience to his voice. It is better to obey than to sacrifice. What had Jesus been doing for 30 years that gave God so much pleasure before he started his ministry? Does it say? No, they don't say anything. The Bible says nothing about those hidden years except for a single phrase in Luke 2, 51. He went back to Nazareth with them and lived obediently with them 
Maybe what God delighted in when he looked down at his son is that he did what his mom and dad told him to do. Thirty years of pleasing God were summed up in two words, lived obediently. Developing our friendship with God also means I must value what God values. Because that's what you do with your friends. You, you know, if, if I'm sitting at home and you know, I'm just channel surfing and I see you know, Kentucky Wildcats are playing basketball. I'm not a Kentucky Wildcat fan, but my best friend is. So I may watch a little bit of it and talk to him about it later. Because I value, in some little way, what my friend values. Because friends care about what is important to the other person. So the more we become friends with God, the more we care about the things of God. Also, we grieve over the things he grieves over. We are angry at the things he gets angry about. And we rejoice over the things that bring, excuse me, that bring pleasure to him. Paul, again, is a great example. God's agenda was Paul's agenda. God's passion was his. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2, The thing that has me so upset is that I care about you so much. This is the passion of God burning inside me. So what does God care about most? God, ultimately, the one thing, and I can say this with, with full assurance, God cares about the salvation of your soul. That's the one thing. The whole reason, when we read the scriptures, the whole Bible is a rescue mission. Where Jesus comes, ultimately, the one that's been prophesied for hundreds of years, really thousands of years. God wants all his children to be found. So to be a friend of God, we need to care about the souls of people. Friends of God tell their friends about God. And then ultimately, if you really want to be God's friend, you must desire friendship with God more than anything else. See, that's where it's a little different than our friends here on earth. We're, we are now, he is now our ultimate in life. In Psalm 63, verse 3, David said, Your love means more than life to me. You know, he's, he is such an interesting character study. He did some of the worst things you could possibly ever do. Really. I mean, he, he really did. And yet, he, and yet, at the same time, we read where he says, To God, your love means more than life to me. That's why God said David was a man after his own heart. Never said he was perfect. He never said, you know, David did everything right. But he did say he was a man after his own heart. So that was David's passion, right? Your love means more than life. Well, in Genesis, Jacob's passion for God's blessing on his life was so intense that he wrestled with God to the point where I would just say God dislocated his hip. Genesis 32, verse 26 Jacob says, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he wrestled with God. Jacob wrestling with God is one of the most amazing stories in all of Scripture because God, who is all-powerful, you could almost say he let Jacob win. When I used to play games with, with the, the girls and I would let them win, Mia already is mad at me because she thinks I would never let her win, that she won on her own. Well, the truth is out. 
They would get so happy, they beat me. Now, did that mean that I became their enemy? Or, you know, tune in next week where Dad crushes Mia in the game of Candy Land or whatever we would play. No. God loved Jacob enough to say, sure, if that's what you really want, but when you leave here limping, that's always going to remind you of this intimate, you know, here's the thing. True friends can fight and still be friends. Now, I don't mean, you know, y'all are duking it out out in the parking lot. But you can disagree, and it's, it's okay. We, I know my time is gone, but friends, we have lost that. It is okay not to agree about every little thing and still be friends. So friends, we need to make sure that one of our great, if not the greatest passion in life is to desire friendship with God more than anything else. Because if, if, if my relationship with Him is good, everything else will fall into place somehow. The truth is we are as close to God as we choose to be. That doesn't mean we always feel close, but we're still close. Intimate friendship with God is a choice. The question is for each one of us, do you really want it more than anything? Is it worth time? Is it worth the energy? Could it be that maybe you were passionate about God, but maybe that desire has become cold? You know, in in, uh, Revelation 2 verse 4, Jesus speaks to the church at Ephesus, who just a generation before was probably the best New Testament church you could find. They did all the right things. But Jesus said, you have forsaken your first love. Our first love has to be him. The one way to easily reignite your passion for God is to ask him to give it back to you. That's what David said. He said, restore to me the joy of my salvation. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, when you get serious about finding me, and this is God speaking, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, I'll make sure you won't be disappointed. Isn't it true in life we always... We truly get what we want. If you're really searching for God, you'll find Him. If you're searching for other things, you'll find that too. Our relationship with God needs to be more important than anything else because it is the relationship that will last forever. And that's kind of a scary word. It's really hard for us to put together what it means forever. But remember... God has promised eternity. In fact, it even says that he has set eternity in the hearts of men and women. So we already know we're set for eternity. We know that we're going to live somewhere forever. So let's, let's start cultivating today that friendship with God so that we can be with him, be friends with him forever. Let's sing together on that song that we just sang earlier, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. One of the things that um, this song points out is how many times we don't come to the Lord like we would our 
think about how fast it is to call up someone when something happens, good or bad. How many times do we first go to God? So we're just going to sing again that first verse. And I would invite you to come.